0: Today on Ag News Daily. Farmers have to be very professional going in with their landowners to be very honest and upfront uh, about how productive their farm is. Good
1: afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, co-host of the Ag News Daily Podcast, joined by Delaney Howell. Delaney, how you doing today?
2: Mike, I woke up. I've got a little bit of a cold this morning, so if uh, I sniffle or cough a little on the podcast. I'll try to mute my mic, but please excuse me if I sound like I've got a sick voice.
1: Okay. All right. Well, we hope you, uh, you hope you pull through it, Delaney. We're all here for you. Um, let's talk a little bit. What's going on in the news?
2: Well, Mike, unfortunately, I think we have to address the situation going on overseas in Iran. We saw escalation happen last night with Iran bombing, I believe two different U S bases, uh, there in Iran, And so I don't know what this means for the U.S. I was listening to NPR this morning and they were saying that there's a couple measures still that we have to see taken before we can officially, I think, invade Iran. And I don't know that that's even on the table, so I don't want to speculate, but uh, definitely some escalation there. Probably going to see an increase in oil prices or a continued increase, I should say. So if you haven't filled up your vehicle, I might advise doing so.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting. So, yeah, we did have the action last night. Iran launched 12 or 15 uh, ballistic missiles at, like you mentioned, Delaney, Iraqi air bases that are host to U.S. and other allied forces. And uh, nobody was injured. So uh, there there were no casualties. There was uh, reportedly no uh, no damage, you know, uh performed by any of these missiles. President Trump gave an address here at 10 o'clock Central Time, 11 o'clock Eastern, and he talked about the next steps. And basically, he he calmed the markets down pretty well. He said that uh, this appeared to be a retaliation in name, not necessarily in deed. Uh, We were well aware, uh, again, according to President Trump, according to Pentagon sources, we were aware that this missile attack was coming. Uh, We could tell that none of the missiles were going to actively target U.S. personnel or allied personnel. And um, basically, my take on the press uh, the press conference today was that we're we're calling it even. Right? we killed Rouhani or Soleimani. You got your your missiles off. Nobody was hurt on the U.S. side. We're not going to do anything more as long as you don't do anything more, Iran. And that's kind of where things sit. It did work to calm the markets. We did see crude oil chill out quite a little bit after that uh, press conference. We also saw the gold market, which spiked last night to 1613, highest priced in eight years, I believe, um, has also calmed down quite a bit since it definitely appears, as of now, like there will not be any continued retaliation.
2: Well, that is definitely good news, Mike. Thanks for having that uh, little update there for us.
1: Yeah, so yeah, I mean, that was definitely moving the outside markets, didn't have a whole lot of impact on the ag markets. However, today, because we continue to be focused as an industry on what could be coming this Friday, Delaney, of course, mm-hmm. we have the quarterly stocks, for quarterly grain stocks, we've got the WASDE, we've got uh, winter wheat plantings, all of these things are dropping at 11 a.m. Central Time on Friday, and we're starting to get trade estimates of what to anticipate. We will uh, talk more in detail on those tomorrow. And uh, listeners, stay tuned. I mean, that could lead to some volatility here this week on top of the potential volatility next week when President Trump and uh, the Chinese counterparts get together to, fingers crossed, sign phase one of the U.S.-China trade deal.
2: Yeah, and I have a little bit of update on that Chinese trade deal. So, we all know that China has allegedly promised to buy about 40 to $50 billion worth of U.S. agricultural products. But China came out ahead of next week's plan sign agreement and basically said that the U.S. won't get special treatment when it comes to corn, wheat, and rice, according to their... Uh, Vice Minister of Agriculture and Rural Affairs. He was quoted in the South China Morning Post this morning or yesterday afternoon saying this is a global quota. And what I mean by that is back in 2001, I believe, when China joined the World Trade Organization, they basically agreed to buy X number of million metric tons for wheat, for corn, and for long grain rice, as well as medium and short grain rice. And so they said that those quotas do not spe- specify which country would benefit from it. But the U.S. was assuming that with this phase one trade agreement signed, we would get a lion's share of that quota. But China has now said they're not promising that one way or the other.
1: Okay. All right. So it more, more uncertainty as more uncertainty. we look ahead there. Absolutely. Um, And we've got more uncertainty coming out of China, according to Reuters. This was an inclusive report published earlier this morning by Reuters. We have talked for the past two or three years now about China's need to clean up their air quality. And one of the ways in which they can do that is by switching to 10% ethanol blend in their gasoline. And last year, China came out with a plan that they were going to push for nationwide E10. Great news for America. There was a lot of talk here as Phase one deal was going, that phase one deal was going forward that perhaps China could step in buy large volumes of American ethanol. It's cheap right now. It would help them meet their E10 blending requirements, and it would also serve to get them close to that $40 billion number floated by the Trump administration. Well… Earlier today, it was announced that China has suspended their plan to implement the nationwide E10 blend. This is according to three different sources on the matter. And this follows the basically the trouble that China is having growing corn. Um, they don't have enough infrastructure. They don't have enough capacity to produce ethanol. And so rather than buying it from the U.S. or other parties, you know, Brazil would be the next logical source um, – Other than making those purchases overseas and shipping it into China, they're just scrapping the whole deal. They're going to stay close to the E2 to E3, which is where their ethanol blend currently is in their gasoline supply. So we've got yet more uncertainty there. How is China going to meet this $40 billion commitment if they're not going to buy ethanol, if they're not – guaranteeing to step up purchases of these other staple crops you mentioned just a second ago. They don't need as many soybeans, what with African swine fever. What are they going to do, just buy pork? I guess it remains to be seen.
2: Hmm. It does remain to be seen, Mike. But I do have actually some positive trade news. When you look at the U.S.-China trade deficit, we saw the trade deficit sink in November 8% to a three-year low of forty one point or forty three point one billion dollars, even amidst the u s China trade war or trade negotiations, I should say rather, and we saw this deficit really the smallest since October of two thousand sixteen kind of pre trade war, if you will, so positive news there, I think that we are starting to see you know Chinese purchases come through regardless really of this phase one trade deal it does appear china is making those purchases
1: yes which is good news and tomorrow we'll get export sales and of course one of the big topics there we'll be watching for soybeans and we'll be watching for uh pork
2: yes but i did see this morning on the wires we uh, saw a flash sale of u.s corn about 207,000 metric tons i believe uh, to an unknown destination so could be china who really knows
1: yeah, and you know, given the pace at which Mexico has been buying, at least in the nineteen twenty marketing year, I, I think there's a probably an equal shot. It could have been Mexico stepping in because this was in the twenty twenty one marketing year, if I if I remember correctly, for this morning's flash sale.
2: Yeah, I'm not positive, but I think that sounds right too.
1: Well, you know, we've talked a little bit about the broader, the outside markets earlier in the podcast. We've got other news, bullish news for the stock market in particular, and that is that U.S private payrolls increased by the most in eight months. So this economists are looking at, they're saying, this points to a sustained labor market strength. We're continuing to add new jobs. And uh, this kind of puts to bed the notion that perhaps we had maxed out, perhaps we had hit capacity, and everybody who had a job, uh, wanted a job, rather, had a job. And instead, it certainly looks as though there is enough uh, continued growth out there in the private sector. So private payrolls jumped by 202,000 jobs last month, the largest gain since April. And, uh um, This has uh, has brought the average up for 2019 to 163,000 jobs created per month, which is pretty substantial. Just to put this into perspective, um, economists heading into this report had only expected to see about 163,000—excuse me, 160,000 jobs last month. So to come in at 202,000 is a big beat for that number.
2: That it is. It really shows, I think, that the economy is staying strong.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Which is good news.
2: Good news indeed. Another change that we know has been coming for 2019 into 2020 is, I know Mike, this is uh, one of your soapbox topics. So I'm not going to ask your opinion on any of this. I'm just sharing. I'm going to give it anyway. I'm sure you will. But uh, that's CRP ground. We know from the 2018 farm bill, we are seeing those acres raise from 22 million to 27 million and sign up is currently going on and ends February 28th. But this year's program, in particular, is seeing quite a few changes as far as the amounts that producers will receive. Of course, we'll see probably the largest sign-up that we've had in 10 years, and so CRP county-level rates are really changing pretty drastically here, and of course, there are a couple different facets that you could enroll in if you are interested in putting some of those acres into CRP ground. We're seeing options including general, continuous, and grassland sign-ups, as well as a couple new pilot programs and land transition programs. But uh, for your specific CRP county rates, definitely check with your local FSA offices.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm not gonna. Go. I talk a lot about CRP. You know, I, I think we ought to be running cattle on that ground, and but we just can't compete with those rates offered. So you know, if, if you got ground that can go into CRP, go get paid. I mean, at the end of the day, as we look ahead to 2020, the bottom line is profitability for your operation, for your farm, for your land, and you know. CRP has been incredibly competitive. I know it has forced some young farmers to give up ground because they just can't compete with the rates offered by USDA. But Delaney, as you alluded to there, and I think we've talked about in the past, they've been looking at ways to be less competitive. So uh, beginning farmers can still get a chance to uh, to grow on that ground, which is, which is a good thing.
2: Absolutely, Mike.
1: Well, I've got just one other piece of news here as we look out to the day, and this I thought was interesting. Uh, there has been a lot of talk in the ag science community about the lack of innovation when it comes to uh, chemical herbicides. So we saw a tremendous spike in the 80s and 90s. Of course, we added the genetically modified organisms. We added Roundup Ready corn, Roundup Ready soybeans, everything else. We were adding new modes of action, but it has been a substantial period of time since we've seen new modes of action, new herbicides come on the market. In fact, the patent rate is slowing down for those as well, alluding to the fact that we might not be able to have chemical control of weeds yeah, forever. Uh, eventually, we're gonna to have to go back to uh, to mechanical control, like we had in the uh, pre-chemical era. We got news today that Corteva has submitted a. Uh application for approval of a new broadleaf herbicide. This would be a novel herbicide. So this is not something that is currently on the market. And it was announced during the American Forage and Grassland Council Annual Conference. They're going to call it Pro-Clova. And it is basically, it's a tool for livestock grazers. Um, They say that uh, basically this is a broadleaf herbicide that does not go after uh, white clover, which is, Different from most other tech, well, all other technologies on the market right now, if you spray it, a broadleaf herbicide on your pasture you're going to get those broadleaf weeds, but you're also going to kill clover, which is fact, uh, a great crop for nitrogen fixation, of course uh, you know so many other things it's a, it is palatable to cattle, all these other things. proclova allows spraying to get the broadleaf weeds without killing uh, white clover and annual Pedaza, which i've I don't know anything about I don't know my <laughs> plant name. So, but it must be a good thing.
2: It must be a good thing. And, Mike, I've got just one other piece of news also related to the agronomic industry. I don't know if we've mentioned this on the podcast. I know it was a tweet floating around back in December after some recent uh, kind of winter meetings going on, one of which was the Climate Corporation meeting. But we've really seen this or are going to probably see this hit the pipeline here in 2020, and that's changing the way that the seed industry sells their seed products. We've seen a new pricing model kind of make its way into the seed industry, and this year is expected to be probably one of the bigger years to roll that out, looking this time at kind of doing basically an outcome-based pricing structure where we see companies give producers a baseline cost, and then dependent upon how much the producer yields off of that seed uh, how harvest goes, etc., we could see the farmers either get an extra refund from the seed company or potentially have to pay in further into that seed company. So I know I've yeah. seen this too with some land uh, cash rent prices where basically the landowner and the farmer are setting it at a base price and then dependent upon you know how the crop year goes, you may have to pay in more money or maybe get a little money back from your land owner, but it seems the seed industry is also kind of picking up this model as well. Good, bad, or otherwise, I don't know, but something that's probably going to be coming down the pipeline here over the next couple of years.
1: And who was it that unveiled that plan, Delaney? I I tuned out there, and I apologize.
2: That's okay. We saw Mike Stern, who is the head of Bayer's digital farming efforts at Climate Corp, uh, talk about that, and it seems that Bayer might be one of the first companies to release that down the pipeline.
1: Gotcha. Bear. Okay. All right, folks. Well, stay tuned. That will definitely influence bottom lines as we uh, continue to experiment with ways to price ag inputs.
2: Absolutely.
1: Well, Lenny, if that wraps up all of our news for the day, let's jump into the markets. What do you say? Let's do it. As we take a look at the grains, we've got either unchanged or green on the screen. Little different stories. we look at the cattle market, but in corn, March contract unchanged on the day at 384.5. May, also unchanged, finished the day at 391.5. Over in soybeans did see a little positivity today. The March contract was up 2 and 3 quarters at 946 and 3 quarters. November new crop up 2 cents at 975 and a half. In Chicago wheat, the March contract climbed 3 and a quarter pennies to finish at 553 and a half. The May up 3 and 3 quarters, closing at 557 even. Looking over at the world of livestock weakness in the live cattle markets, February live cattle down 17 and a half cents at 12635. April down 3250 finished the day at 12705. Strength However, in feeder cattle, although they did pull back from their highs, the March contract was up $1.40 today, a dollar forty today at 146.52 half. April up a dollar to close at 149.0250. And mixed trade in lean hogs: February contract dropped twenty cents to close at 69.0250. The April unchanged, finishing the day at 75.75. Over in the dairy market, there was some weakness today. The January contract dropped nine cents to finish at 17.01, while the February also dropped nine. To finish at seventeen ten. Without further ado, let's continue our discussion of markets. This time, moving into land. Well, for today's conversation, as I mentioned, we're going to continue our discussion of markets. This time, however, looking over at the world of agricultural farmland. Joining us today is Randy Dekut, who is the senior vice president of real estate operations with Farmers National Company. And Randy, let's go high level. How do things sit across the Midwest right now, as it relates to farmland values? What are the big trends you're seeing?
0: Well, we're continuing to see that uh, plateau of the last few years. Uh, you'll see some individual, different reporting uh, from states and, and different sources within those states that show, you know, land values overall for the state have been. Steady down a little or up just a little. And when you look at good quality farmland, uh, typically there's a demand uh, for that in most areas, and it's staying you know, pretty flat and sometimes surprises us that it's selling a little stronger than we thought it might, uh, depending on the area and location.
2: Yeah, and Randy, I think that's the biggest or has been the biggest surprise to me getting out and chatting with producers. You look at some farm ground that's very productive. I mean, you're getting baseline 180 to 200 yield, and then you look at acres that are getting maybe 100 bushels per acre yield, and you still see those cash rent prices being relatively the same. Do you see any weakness coming here for cash rent prices in 2020 or beyond?
0: Not really. Uh, It will depend uh, regionally uh, or to a local area. If they were unfortunate, had those uh, uh, lower yields, uh, whereas other areas, kind of the yields came in better than expected, still not as good as you like, but they were better than given the year than they thought they'd be. Um, but you've got areas like uh, North Dakota, Red River Valley, with uh, you know no harvest or didn't complete all the harvest of the potatoes and sugar beets, high-value crops and how that impacts. There'd be a little more pressure on cash rents in some of those areas. Um, where there was extreme flooding, uh, extremely you know uh, delayed planting or none at all elsewhere, it uh, gets a little tougher, but I think overall... Uh, what we're seeing as a company cash rents are going to be just pretty steady again uh, for another year.
1: All right. Now, I want to talk about something that uh, you mentioned in the report, and I thought this was interesting given the strength, and that was in 2019. Farmers National saw a 25% increase in acres sold from 2018, and yet, despite the weakness in the farm economy, despite more acres coming available for sale, prices were relatively stable. Bring us up to speed. Who are the main buyers now of farm ground? Does it continue to be farmers, or investors taking a bigger share?
0: Farmers continue to be uh, the majority of the buyers, uh, just about all the time for this, especially the good quality cropland and and some of that lower quality also. Uh, a lot of reasons that you know add to their operation. Farms come up for sale once every you know three four generations, you know those type of things. Uh, There's enough capital uh, still in the farmer's hands, or uh, availability anyway, to uh, make those purchases when the land comes up for sale. There is a little more interest from uh, some individual investors. Uh, Of course, it depends on states whether they allow institutional investing or, you know, ownership of farmland by corporations. So that changes the mix a little bit in different states. But, uh, yeah, there's... Farmer's still the main buyers for a lot of reasons. Institutional is picking up a little bit, but they're still you know, cautious and, and very careful on their decisions. And some individual investors are uh, picking up some uh, when it comes up for sale, too.
2: And, Randy, do you see that trend continuing into 2020 and beyond?
0: I think so. Um you know where everybody looks at the land market who 's selling and who 's buying, and we 've been talking for the last you know five years or so about you know land values getting under pressure and farm economy's not you know strong, working capital's declining there's more borrowing by producers, and you know will there be some extra financially forced or encouraged sales, and you know there are, but there 's been no Big amount of that, and so uh, it hasn't happened, which is fortunate. We don't want it to. Uh, it's not good for anybody, uh, farmers or landowners, or looking at the value of your land. So that that has helped stabilize land values through these you know tougher economic times, income wise. Um, anyway, and uh, so we don't still don't see that extra. Selling coming up, I think that's going to be kind of the way it was in fact, might be a little bit slower again this year to start out with due to the the delayed and uncertainty in the last season um, and there still seems to be adequate buying for that good quality farmland
1: now one of the big questions that I think everybody has had watching the strength of this farm market or farmland market over the past six years is that we've been on this plateau. Uh, Prices, as you've mentioned, have been relatively stable. Of course, they have pulled back from the 2013 highs, but they haven't pulled back nearly as much as one would expect simply looking at commodity markets. Is 2020 going to be the year that we see a big
0: break one way or the other,
1: or do you think things are going to be fairly stable going forward?
0: Well, if we would have continued on interest rates going up and if uh, U.S. and world economies would uh, have gotten worse – and some of the commercial credit market uh, got stressed, Um, I think, and and the world trade issues, you know, it's a big key to that. If those really had gotten worse, um, you know, there would have been even more pressure on the land market. And then, you know, we still wonder, would that have been enough to, to pressure those land prices down? But, Actually, we're seeing lower interest rates, which support land values. We're not seeing a lot of land on the market at this time. Maybe some more later in the season for various reasons. So we'll watch that. Uh, looks like the trade issues are getting more positive. Uh, we haven't seen it yet. Uh, you know, the proof will be in the pudding, so to speak. Uh, But everybody's hopeful. Uh, We're hoping that world demand for our grains and and our livestock, our meat proteins come back and kind of help boost the commodity prices uh, organically or through supply and demand issues. And uh, so even though there's a lot of question marks and there was that possibility, I think the land market's going to be fairly stable again unless we get exhausted with it somewhere.
2: And Randy, how do you go about or what advice do you have for producers looking to have that conversation with landowners or, you know, renters about how to maybe adjust the rent if we do not see the commodity prices get better here in 2020?
0: Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, Having farmed myself, uh, it's been a while, but having farmed many years after college myself, uh, working with that landowner to rent land is very important. To your livelihood and your operations. So it is a, uh, a key discussion. I think, you know, as farmers have to be very professional going in with their landowners and be very honest and upfront uh, about how productive their farm is. Uh, you know, I think landowners deserve to know, you know, what kind of yields uh, farmers getting off the land and, you know, how kind of good a job they're doing, fertility they're using, uh, uh, soil tests and see how that land, which is the owner's asset, is being ma- maintained and used as a productive factory. Then also the you know the farmer has to you know share honestly what their uh, kind of finances or cost of production and uh, yields and and grain market outlook and just sit down over the facts and have that discussion and where the rents fall in that and then also. You know, be aware of what the land rental market is in the area. Some areas are more competitive than others, and some are less.
1: That is certainly true. You've got to know your relative value, particularly of uh, of the ground you are growing on. Randy, before we let you go, what would you say the main takeaway is for either current farmland owners or potential owners who are maybe looking to for 2020 to be the year they, they step up and
0: and make the purchase of some farm ground? What are some things they really need to keep in mind going through this year? Well, if anybody's looking, you know, to purchase farmland, they need to do their due diligence and know what they are buying. Uh, Sadly to say, we've seen where investors have purchased land that, uh, you know, for whatever reason wasn't as good as they thought it was, or if it has irrigation, maybe there were some problems with the equipment or the water availability. So they need to really understand what they're looking to buy and, uh, you know, how to value that. Secondly, um, You know, I think land is always a long-term investment, and there are, you know, some movements within that. But the longer-term trends usually is, you know, over time farmland uh, is a competitive return uh, that competes with stocks and bonds and anything else.
2: Well, Randy, we certainly appreciate you sharing about the Farmers National Company 2020 Land Values Survey and Study and giving us kind of your outlook here for 2020 and beyond. Thanks so much for joining.
0: You bet. Appreciate it. Have a good day.
2: Well, Mike, that was certainly a great interview today looking at land values for 2020. What did you think?
0: Oh, yeah, fantastic. Everybody wants to know about land values. It's so, so exciting. Wait a exciting.
2: second. This doesn't sound like Mike Pearson.
0: No. Thank thank God for that. No, this is Ted
2: Seifert. How are you doing? <laughs> well, good, Ted. Thanks for hopping on. You can uh, do the outro rap with me for today. Folks, of course, you can find Ted Seifert on Twitter at the Ted Spread. You can also find Agnews Daily on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Agnews Daily. Ted, with that, yes. should we let the people go?
1: Let's let the
0: people go, Delaney.